0: True, you can be seated. Thank you so much, Allison and Walter. Your Bible's open again to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. You know, when we sing, The Roll is Called Up Yonder, Uh, I'll be there. Uh, It says, When the saved of the earth shall gather, when the roll is called up yonder. there is a role, right? There is a role. And you can say this out loud, it's okay. What, what book is that called? Book of life. Or some say, sometimes it says the Lamb's book of life. And others say the book of life. So, and it is, uh, in order to be in that book, well, it's written before the foundation of the world, but, it, but your book, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. And then it says, if your name's not in there, it's in another book. And that book contains all the sins. It records you, the person that's unsaved, every person that's unsaved, in all their wrongdoing, and you'll be judged accordingly. Aren't you glad you have a Savior? Aren't you glad that He bore your sin? Think about that. In Ephesians chapter 2, now it's been two weeks and you know, we did the Lord's Supper last Sunday and I can't tell you how, what a blessing it is to gather it at the table of the Lord. It, there's something God does for me, and I'm sure He does it for you, when we accept His invitation to come to the Lord's Supper and remember His incarnate body, His God in human form, God become man. And we think about His broken body, the humility Uh, the persecution, the judgment that, that fell on him, though he was an innocent lamb, to think about his body, his substitutionary death. And then his blood, you know, because we, you know, just as the Old Testament says, life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for sin. Christ is our atoning sacrifice. His blood, it was a bloodletting. And he, he gave His life's blood to redeem us, uh, as the Bible says, to, to purchase us. Uh, he's a ransom to buy us out of, just like He bought the Egyptians out of the slavery of Egyptian bondage. We are bought out of the slave market of sin. You're, you're a, in bondage to the devil. And through Christ the Passover lamb, you're, you're set free. And... And it was in the Passover that Christ established the Lord's Supper. So it's such a blessing. We still want to talk about salvation. I'm still in Ephesians chapter two, and I'm just going to mention one thing related to that. The two weeks ago, so your Bible's open to Ephesians chapter two, and I'm going to read uh, verses uh, one through ten. We're going to be focusing on the salvation part of this. It talks about the condemnation. I'm just going to mention one thing about that this morning. And you were dead, Ephesians 2.1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And remember we talked about the difference. Uh, trespass is, is, a, is a selfish, mindful rejection and rebellion against God's commands and laws. And sins are missing the mark. You're just a sinner, you miss the mark. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in which you once walked. So, it's the thing of the past. For those of us that are saved, remember we're going to find that at the end of the passage. That's the thing of the past. In which we once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is another term for Satan or the devil or Lucifer, the fallen angel. Following the prince of the power of the air, and that's why Jesus again affirms this in John 8. He says, either God's your Father through me, or your Father is the devil. Jesus says that. So there's only two kind of people. Spiritually, either saved or unsaved. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, that spirit from the devil and his minions, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. See, we can understand to degree, we can understand to a degree, the lost world, because even though I've been saved 46 years, I still remember at the age of you know, 14, 15 or 12, 13, 14, 15, being a, a wicked rebel to the God's commands. I remember, even though I've been saved 46 years, I remember what it was to be, a son of disobedience. And you should too. And and these folks that are in the world, that's what they do. Their father's the devil and he's a liar and a murderer. So this world is unhinged because uh, Satan has duped them. And not only Satan, but he has all these little spiritual minions that, that help rule nations and kings and governors. And so this world is lost He says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and we were just by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And folks, I gave you four. I think there was four things we talked about two weeks ago. I won't go over all four. I'm summarizing We talked about being dead in sin, deceived in sin, depraved in sin, and damned in sin. But I want to talk to you again about being what we call dead in sin. And in order to do that, I just want to read to you... Well, when we think about being... That's one reason Robbie read what he read in Romans, the Roman road of salvation. How many have ever used or know the Roman road of salvation? You can raise your hand if you've ever used it or know the Roman road of salvation. Okay. And we call it the quickly. We call it the Roman Road because of Roman roads uh, in in Rome. They had great roads. Some of them are still used today, and and so uh, they they're they're you know they're permanent so to speak. And so the Roman so in the Book of Romans, there's the Roman Road of salvation. Now, Robbie didn't read them in order that I might use them. That was his choice. It's easier reading. But we start with Romans 3.23. We go to Romans 6.23. I go to Romans 5.8. Then I go back to Romans 8, one and 2. And then I go to Romans 10. That's what I do when I go through the Roman road. So, but we call it the Roman road of salvation because it, because it helps explain that what we call maybe the doctrine of salvation or what it means to be saved. But the Bible tells us that in Romans 6 and Romans 5 that we were dead in our sins. Okay? Here in Ephesians 2 it says, and you were dead in... In your trespasses and sins. I want to read to you. See, this is why we believe in, in salvation in Christ alone. Okay, Because, and we read this two weeks ago, 1 Corinthians 15, we inherited the nature of Adam, and Adam all die, that's what it says. But there's a new Adam, the last Adam, Christ. And so we've been born again from another seed, the seed of God. That births us new. See, the word regeneration or new birth, has a, it's literal, where, spiritually literal. You know, he, where he gives us a new life by the Word and the, and the Holy Spirit because we're dead. We have to be made alive. So in Adam I'll die, in Christ you'll be made alive. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 15. But being dead in sin, so I wrote, and that's why we believe in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because if, if anybody could earn their own, If they could merit salvation, we're going to get to that in a minute. Grace eliminates that, but grace would not be grace if you and I, if somebody could earn it. If somebody could earn it, then all of us could earn it, possibly. And then Paul argues this in Romans, if you could, why did Christ come? If, If a man could be righteous, then some of the other ones of us could be righteous. And Christ didn't necessarily have to come. But we're not righteous, we can't be righteous. And so Christ did come. Um, so it says, you know, we'll read in a minute. But it says, when, when I realize that the article I wrote, I sent this out three or four years ago. Uh, Trish, I'm not mistaken that I think this is something that set you free. Listen to what I, I read. It says, getting off the treadmill, getting off the performance treadmill. Now, this is, the article. this is the article I sent out by email five years ago. Uh, Christian joy is when I realize that my eternal and my daily relationship with the Holy God is based upon the perfect, infinite, sacrificial merit of Christ. See, not only is my salvation uh, based on the merit of Christ, but my daily living is based on the merit of Christ. Because otherwise, I'd be struck down. I'd be smushed. Because I'm a sinner, right? And even though I'm saved and have a new nature, I do old bad things. And so when I realize, now think about this, when I realize my, my that my eternal and daily relationship with a Holy God is based upon the perfect, eternal, sacrificial merit of Jesus Christ, uh, you know... Peter summarizes it in two ways. We have have a blessed hope uh, and then we have a life of hope. He uses both those words. A life of hope and a blessed hope. Because there's hope. Because Christ... uh, So it says, Grace is God's... Let me just read you. uh, Let me read it. Grace is God's unmerited favor toward undeserving sinners like us. I want you to know that Really, we're more than undeserving. We're ill-deserving because we're enemies. Before you were saved, the Bible says we were at enmity with God, right? That means you're an enemy. So it's not that we just didn't deserve it. That's true, but we we're ill-deserving. That means we we're enemies. Being unmerited, people can do nothing to obtain it. In other words, grace is not conditioned upon anything God sees in us like our merit or even our goodwill. We do not repair ourselves and then we believe. Rather, we believe because God can repair us. And He has illuminated our minds through the gospel and the Spirit. As yourself, what makes you different from the unbelieving neighbor? Is it the grace of Christ alone that saves or is it grace plus your good works or your goodwill? Where did your faith come from? Does it naturally arise in some and not in others? Or is your faith, that means the faith which is defined or confirmed in Scripture, is your faith a working of God's grace to change your heart? Is it something that came forth from our unregenerated human nature or came from the witness of Scripture and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So did you just one day decide as an unregenerate, that's the term theologian, unsaved, just decide I'm going to love Jesus or was the Spirit and the Word have to be present? We just read in Romans 10, faith cometh by hearing. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? The Word of God, folks. It is a fallacy to think you can be saved without God's Word and Spirit. It's a fallacy, and if you're dead in sin, dead people don't feel the weight of sin. Spiritually dead people, just like a corpse, don't feel the weight. I mean, you could throw sand on them, and they they, they, they don't feel. What well, spiritual dead? You don't feel the weight of sin. But when the Spirit and the Word, you remember the first time you understood salvation. I, I can still remember the conviction where the weight and the price of sin, I became aware of it, that without a Redeemer, I would pay for my sin. You remember that? Well, when you were un- that's that's the work of God in grace. W- but left to your own, you don't walk around thinking about how wicked you are, but the Word and the Spirit do that. Finally, it says the Reformers, back in the 1500s, they opposed synergism. Well, that's just where it says, the effort of man plus God's goodness. You know, they... There's a, you think that that both together would save, It uh, says, uh, uh, we believe that God save, redeems His people by free, unconditional, invincible grace in Jesus Christ when we exercise faith. But also when we believe He resurrects us from spiritual death by His quickening Spirit or His Holy Spirit in order not only that we would believe, but that we would be obedient. That's what God does in salvation. So when we talk about being dead in sin, you're just dead and without hope. Uh, And that's what the argument is in the first few verses. But I want you to notice quickly, picking up at verse 4, you have this conjunction in the text, but God, you know, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And He raised us up with Him. This is the Father's salvation okay, in Christ. This is what the Father does when one believes the Word of God and the Spirit does its work. It says, <clears throat> and we were dead. okay." Verse, uh, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him, so we're raised from death to life, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. That you also call that eternal security, which it is. So when we this is why the Bible would call us now aliens and strangers, okay? Because our citizenship is where? in heaven. Paul, matter of fact, Paul uses the word politics several times. Uh, in Philippians and Colossians, when he says things like this, our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, so our politics, where the world that we love the most and we want to discuss is is heaven. That's where, I, and where Christ. That that's the world that we love, but we're aliens and strangers in this world. So, so he seated us. Our 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 membership, our identity. Our, we belong in, in heaven, and of course. The role that's called up yonder is talking about that's been put in a book. And that book is called the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name has been put there. He raised us up with Him, seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that... Now he's making a conclusion. Now, so God does all that in salvation. We're going, I'm going to give you just a couple of little simple points of salvation. So he does that. Then he, so, he makes a, so that... Here's a conclusion. In the coming ages... So it's been 2,000 years that folks have been saved through the gospel, right? So that in the coming ages, and now we're 2,000 years, He might show the immeasurable. You could translate the word immeasurable way beyond your imagination. It has the word to throw. uh, Two words, to throw beyond. It's the idea of just something far beyond you could ever imagine is the idea of the Lord. That He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Think about in that kindness, uh, part of that is the doctrine of forbearance. By the way, uh, that word kindness, I'm being quickly just to think, it doesn't appear but a few times in the Greek New Testament, the word translated kindness but surprisingly, I think it's 25 times. But here's what's interesting. is It appears five times in the birth narrative of Christ in Luke's Gospel. Be, because the coming of the Messiah was about the kindness and goodness of God. So when the angels are communicating with Mary and Elizabeth, it's talking about God's kindness and mercy. We might even say forbearance. Where, you know, God... Um, bears with those that are just brutally rebellious, that are enemies of Him. He, he forbears that. And, and, and really kind of the, our word would be He overlooks it until He saves them. You know? So, so there's, a, there's an idea of forbearance there. So the loving, the grace, and the kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Not because of works. And remember what Philippians say. Philippians one says, uh, "Work out your own salvation. Work out, not work for. Not work for. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling." Then it says, "For it is God." who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So we don't... It's by grace we're saved, but the grace that saves is a working grace. But we don't work to get our salvation. So so by grace you're saved. It's not of, not of work so that no one can boast. And then he ends with this verse 10, which is really incredible. It uh, says, For, for we are his workmanship. Now think of the words here for we are his workmanship. You can do a word study on the word workmanship if you want to, not right now but later. You can do your blue letter bible or whatever whatever study tool you use and you'll find that that root word for workmanship in the in the common man's language was a work of art. It was a it was used in in the the music world of a, a a beautiful work of music or art, a beautiful work of art, poetry. Uh, Greek poetry would use words to describe it as being a, a great work, a beautiful work. That's that word workmanship. But look what the next verse, the next word says. It says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. These are the same words of creation. It's the same word. When the Bible says God created, uh, when God made something out of nothing, the Greek word's the same here, creation. When God made something out of nothing, that same power I- is making you new. So He claims you. You're my workmanship, is what He's saying. Um, Romans 1.20 talks about that, that Him the Creator. And it's His works of creation. It's the same idea. We're one of His works. Folks, I just want you to think about what that does for, for thinking through salvation. God has set creation. He made it and He set it in order. Christ controls it. He rules it by the word of His power. That's what it says in Hebrews. That will not change until Christ decides to change it. He's in control of all things. He created it and sustains it. He also created and sustained salvation. But He also said, I made you new. So, when God took nothing and made it into something in Genesis, it was obvious it had been made. It's the same logic for us. It's obvious God has made something. If you're saved, it's obvious. And we have for too long coddled religious people that are unsaved. Do you hear me? We've coddled people. The the fact of the matter is, are you, have you been made new? If you're not a new person, you don't know the Christ of this New Testament. This is why Paul argues that the apostles, people that got saved the first part of the New Testament, were types, typos, imprints of what it is like to be saved. So I have to ask you: Have you been made new? Have you, this? You know, Paul uses it in Second Corinthians, same new creation. Anybody's in Christ, you are. Emphatic. You, it's it's an indicative. It's just saying this is the way it is. This is God's. This is the way God does things. You are a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, wow! New things have come. Does does that describe you? So so for we his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Jesus says you'll know them by their fruits, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Saved people work, but work does not save. That is a biblical truth. Saved people work, but work does not save. Don't ever forget that. Now there's Four things we'll quickly I want you to think about number one it's un- he mentions in beginning at verse four there's four things he mentions unmerited favor that that's god's grace you know but God who is rich in mercy uh, he demonstrated to us his his mercy and grace so it's it's unmerited we know that you can't work for it you can't earn it it's just simply uh, that's one of the definitions of, of grace is unmerited favor God without Thinking of how wonderful you are, not thinking of He just in His unmerited favor toward you, saved you. And that's what the idea of salvation is it's un- unmerited favor. Number two, it's undeserved love. It says, you know, with the great love, with the great, look, look what it says, with the great love with which He loved us. Okay? With the great love with which He loved us. That's you know it's in verse the uh, end of verse four, and of course immediately your mind should go to uh, John three sixteen right. But let me give you first John. Listen to first John four ten. It says, "In this is love." John is going to define love. He says, "In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us." and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. To be the replacement, the punishment, to bear the guilt. Christ is the propitiation for us. That's a demonstration of love. So love's not about us loving God. The real definition of love is God loving us even when we were sinners. And we were His enemies. Paul reminds us that here. I love what Jesus says about Mary Magdalene. You know she's one of the ones that anointed Jesus. There's another Mary that does it in in John 12, the sister of Lazarus. But 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 in Luke 7 he's recording Mary Magdalene had been set free from demons and multiple demons and so she's showing her appreciation for Christ and she brings a, a very expensive perfume and she anoints him. And they say some people say some some unusual things about that you know she shouldn't have done it. Don't touch him. All that, but Jesus says this. This is in uh, Luke seven. He says he explains why she's doing it. Now listen to me. Now Listen, this is very important. He basically he says those who are forgiven much. Listen to those who are forgiven much. Of course we all are, but where you, it's what you realize about it. Those that are forgiven much. Loves much, right? She, she loved Christ because of all the things He'd set her free from. When you and I get saved, we, we repent because we realize the sin debt we've had. And there's no way we can pay for that. We don't want to pay for it because it's death. So we repent from who we are. We realize our sin debt. And we love Him. Do you know 20 times Twenty times, John right. Twenty times in Ephesians, Paul mentions the love of God. Twenty times in six chapters. He talks about the substitutionary love of Christ for us. So it's it's about we love, we, we love him because he first loved us. So here we go. So salvation is about un- unmerited favor, undeserved uh, love, and the fourth one is un I say unquenchable regeneration. He he made us alive. He saved us. And he uh, we use the word regeneration. It means new life. So he third point now. So there's unmerited grace, undeserved love, and unalterable or un I call it unquenchable regeneration. Regenerate new life. So when he gives life, new life, it's permanent. You are saved. I mean it's it's a permanent term. You're saved from your sins. He doesn't reverse that. He doesn't change that. You are saved from it. and and so. He, but in order to save you, one of the things he does, not only you know, justifies you by your faith, all that, but he he changes your heart. It's he he regenerate. The word g- regenerate m- means new life. We use the word born again for it. It's, it's new Genesis, a new beginning. He makes. So not only does He do all the judicial part, but He makes you new. He makes you a new person. And that never changes. Now this is what I want you to think about. It, if I'm saved, if I've experienced... how Was the time... we okay? Okay. See, I'm very conscious about time. I always am. Very conscious. And uh, because we have lunch, and I want to make sure the cooks have enough time to get it done. So, so I'm only going to go... Thank goodness, I'm only going to go to 1 o'clock. So this is going to be good. going to be good for everybody. Or, or 12. I'm sorry. Anyway, so, so now think, now let's, let's think of the outline. So there's unmerited favor, undeserved love, and unquenchable regeneration. If these things have happened, I, I, I'm not a super wise person, but I want you to listen to some of the things that I know happened to me and you. This is what the Bible says. Number one, I've become an evangelist. Okay? Because you do, because God has saved you. You now know the Savior, and you can tell others about the Savior. Now, it doesn't mean I have the gift of evangelism or you have the gift of evangelism, but I become an evangelist. All saved. You know what the word evangelist means? You're a witness. What did Jesus say? You are, Acts 1 8, you are my witnesses, right? You are. If you're saved, you become an evangelist. Number two, if all this is true, and the, and the Creator, God, through His Son, has, has saved me and made me new, I'm now enslaved to Him. Okay? So not only am I, would I not say I'm an evangelist, these are all E's, by the way, I'm, I'm enslaved. That this is why the Bible calls me a slave of Christ. I, he, he's now King. He's now Lord. He's now Savior. Whatever term you want to use, this is, this is, who, this is who He is. Um, I'd written down this little note about that, but I was reading this theological book and it, it's, it was talking about how, how in the world we would think that the eternal God the Creator of the universe, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father and Son and Spirit, would call a rebel and want somebody that's unsaved and is an enemy of God. Would call a rebel to salvation, right? Now, this is what a lot of people believe, and you may believe it. So this is so that that God, the God that is, the God that made all things would call a rebel to salvation knowing that he still wants to be a rebel. That's not God. God, God's not going to save a rebel who wants to be a rebel and just doesn't want to go to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because whose salvation is it? Yours or His? He owns it. It's His salvation. Folks, this is why churches are full of unsaved people. This is one, and it's hard. This is the truth. This is, and I'm I'm thinking, you know, you're here. It's the people that aren't here that might need to hear this. This is why 15 or 20% of the people in, in churches give all the money and do all the work. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the major reasons why. Because church membership doesn't mean you're saved. Right? This is what salvation does. So, if I'm saved, I become an evangelist. I'm enslaved to Christ. The Bible says in Acts 1, I'm endued with power from on high. The same Spirit that indwelt Christ indwells me. Acts 1, you will be endued with power from on high. He tells them in, in Luke 24, Go tarry in Jerusalem. And of course, they went for ten days. Until you be endued with power from on high. And the Spirit comes. Read the book of Acts. What happens those first few chapters? They're endued with power. I'm, when I'm saved, I'm endued with the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit. But the same thing that God did for the apostles, He does for me at salvation. So now think, so when I got saved, when... By experiencing this unmerited favor of God, this undeserved love, this unquenchable regeneration, what happened? Well, I became an evangelist, I was, in, I was enslaved to Christ, and I was endued with power. Does that describe you? I was exalted. Told my, 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 I'm seated where? I'm seated in the heavenlies. Now folks, that's all because of what Christ has done. If there's let's listen to me if there's something I could do to change that it wouldn't be his salvation it would be synergism it would be mine and his together but I'm saved by grace through faith alone and my I, and he seated me my citizenship is in heaven so so it does nowhere does it say he'll take me out of take me out of the, that citizenship but it does say that there's a lot of people that have religion, but they're not new. They haven't been made new. So just think of all... I'm, I'm let, me, let me go over them. You're an evangelist, you're enslaved, you're endued with power, you're exalted. Here's one, you're enlightened. Those of us that get saved get the Spirit, and the Spirit in, inspired the Scriptures, and I now can understand the Scriptures. That's why Peter says you don't need anybody to teach you. There's, you can know the Scriptures by reading them yourself. You don't need, you, don't, you know, in, in old history, you don't need a pope or a bishop. I mean, there's, you need to be taught. The Bible teaches that. But you can read it and understand it. So, so there's an enlightenment we all, because the Spirit of God's in us. And finally, I'll, this whole part of this book right here, the Ephesians, is about equipping. So the last day would be equipped. God, at salvation, the Bible promises me, when the moment you get saved, along with that, God gives you gifts. Spiritual gifts. Not just talents. You get the fruit of the Spirit, because that's the Holy Spirit's fruit. But you get gifts. and, And those gifts will be... I will experience that from you. You will use your gifts here. And it will edify me. And it will edify the body. It will build the body up. Oco o- do de It will build it up. We- so we together will use our gifts. We're equipped to use in the body. So folks, all these things are true for everybody that's ever been saved. Unmerited, unmerited favor. Undeserved love. Unquenchable regeneration. And then kind of the... Just the trump card. If you play... Rook, the Rook card, it's unmistakable transformation. Unmistakable. Isn't it? For we are His workmanship. Now, Bonnie and Griff has been in Colorado and sent me some beautiful pictures. When I I look at those beautiful snow-capped mountains, now, this is a believer. I don't look at those and say, you know, evolution did that. You're saying, that's a beautiful work of God. That's a, that's a beautiful work of God. He made that. I mean, His hydrology allows the moisture to rise and it goes in the air and then it goes to high peaks and it's cold up there and it snows. God does that. I don't, that's the work of the Creator. Well, when people look at you, you're the work of the Creator. And I know who you're supposed to be like. And there's a human being that the Bible says I'm... Well, a God-man that the Bible says I'm supposed to live like. It's not ambiguous, is it? No. Who Who am I supposed to be living like? Christ. Christ. So, is that you? Are you the ones that are saved? Take your Bibles. I'm I'm over, but they needed the time. Go go to Acts chapter 15. Let me show you. This is really interesting, okay? Now, while you're turning here, this is the Jerusalem Council, okay? And Acts 15 is, is where Gentiles started getting saved, okay? Peter even led some gentiles to Jesus. And of course Paul was the was was the mission was the apostle to the Gentiles. And and so the Jews who who salvation came to the Jews first, that's what the Bible says. Great commission, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, all the rest of the world. So they're bothered, they're wondering, is it possible, is God did God come to save the Gentiles? Because people in Jerusalem are hearing all these stories about Gentiles getting saved. They got saved at Pentecost. The church has been growing, but now they're wondering: Is God saving Gentiles like He saves Jews? Uh, saved by the grace of God in Christ, and so they have this big meeting and talk about it. Well, we'll listen to what Peter's witness is. Okay, and it's just a simple verse. I'm in Acts 15. And this, by the way, this is uh, about 18 years after the ascension of Christ. Okay, uh, it's 15 to 18 years. So this is about 48, 49 or 50 AD, okay? So so look what Peter says, I'm in Acts 15. This is this is Peter's witness because he's he's he says verse 11. Have you read about the apostles? What happened to them when God saved them? When he when God gave them his power at salvation, when they got power the spirit when they were saved. Look what it says, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will. The God that saved Peter and Paul, James, Luke, that we read about in the New Testament, that same Jesus with the very same power saves you. So here's the question. Have you been born again? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts open unto the Lord. Just want you to keep your heads bowed and eyes closed just for a second and just think about what the question is today. It's really a simple question, but it is it's an important one. Are you saved? Have you been born again? And folks, this is this is what the scriptures say about salvation. Uh, do you, do you, have you been transformed? Uh, there's a little song. that You don't have to look at me. I just want you to listen to it. There's a little song I found out about a couple of months ago. It's called Bullfrogs and Butterflies. And the song, it's a children's song. But I think it when I say it, Bullfrogs and Butterflies, they've both been born again. A, butterf- uh, you know, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly and a tadpole into a frog. That's transformation. That's what the Bible says happens to me and you when we get saved. We are metamorphosed by the power of Christ. Have you been born again? Is that the change that has been taking place in your life? It's not about religion. It's about an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and bowing before Him and surrendering in repentance to who He is. Is that you? And if I ask all this morning, I want you to raise your hand if you know you're saved. I mean, how many, honestly, nobody's really looking, but how many would raise their hand and how many couldn't? Well, I'm speaking to those of you that that know for sure inside your mind and heart you couldn't raise your hand. I'm begging you to repent of your sins and, and believe. It's true. It's true. God will change your life. But you must be born again. You must believe and repent. And maybe today's going to be that day. Just a minute, we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. And the reason we're standing and singing is we're praying you're going to get saved. But also we're praying that Christians will make spiritual decisions that will enrich the work of the church in their personal lives. Won't you come this morning? Father, we love and thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. We stand and we say,